This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. You may think that you have sunk to such depths that God wants nothing to do with you, but that isn't true. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Better to believe the truth of that than the lies of the devil. Jesus soared to the height of a cross for you and would do it again. My guest today gives personal testimony to that. Joining me along the way is a former London gangster, now turned man of God, John Pridmore. John, welcome. Thank you for having me on, Dave. Your story is a powerful one. I've known about you for a few years now. I, I have your book, but your story is one of community. And I would like to get out of your way, let let people know what your story is, and then we'll we'll uh, explore community. Sure. Yeah, I was um, born in um, the East End of London, and I was baptized a Catholic, but I was never brought up as a Catholic. So I never went to Catholic school. Um, I never went to church. At the age of 10, I came home a normal night, and my parents told me that I had to choose who I wanted to live with because they were getting divorced. And I suspect the two people I loved and trusted the most in the world had really crushed me inside. So I think I made an unconscious decision when I look back that I wasn't their love anymore, because I really thought if you don't love, you don't get hurt. My mum ended up having a nervous breakdown and went to psychiatric hospital, and my dad remarried. And uh, my stepmom thought the best way of bringing up a family was like with a real lot of physical abuse and so um, that sort of added to my pain of what was going on inside me um, and and so I started stealing at the age of about 13 and again when I look back I think the main reason I started stealing was that someone took notice of the pain that I was in but because my dad was a policeman it just sort of added to the pain and at the age of 15, I was put in detention centre, which is like a youth prison. And I actually thought it was better in there than being at home. So I left home at 15. And my only qualification was stealing. So that's what I did. Um, at 19, I was in prison again. And there was another change in me. See, the way I dealt with all the abuse I suffered as a kid is I turned that abuse into anger. So I was just always fighting. And I was put on 23-hour solitary confinement. And it was a bit like having a mirror put in front of me. And because I hated what I saw in that mirror, I hated myself and the way I was living my life, I truly thought about taking God's greatest gift. But God must have been there unbeknownst to me because I didn't kill myself. But I came out of there more angry and more bitter than ever. And I really thought what you want out of this world, you take because no one gives you anything. And I started bouncing. I like fighting, so I was like bouncing around clubs, which is like doing security at these clubs. And I met some guys who seemed to have everything. You know, they had the best girls. They walked into a club and everyone stopped because they had disrespect, all for the wrong reasons. And I suspect in my naivety, I thought that that power would really fulfill me. And so, you know, I started working for these guys. And these guys were the guys who ran most of the organised crime in London. Um, and so one of the first jobs they give you is to go to Dover and pick up a Land Rover. And they tell you where it is. 
and you'd bring it back and I got paid five grand and obviously it was full of cocaine. But in a very short space of time, I was running massive drug deals. I was in the protection rackets to my shame. And, and I had that lifestyle that goes with that. I had the penthouse apartment, the sports cars. I was earning so much money, I couldn't spend it. But inside, there was this sort of overwhelming sense of emptiness. I remember um, our late Holy Father, St. John Paul II, said that the person who gives us the desire to search for him in our hearts is Jesus. And no matter how rich or famous we become, no matter how successful we become or powerful, we'll never be fulfilled until we find that missing jigsaw part, that personal relationship with Jesus. Well, because I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, I tried to fill that emptiness with crack cocaine. I was smoking dope, drinking really heavy, gambling, very promiscuous lifestyle. You know, all the vices that sort of you think that they solve your problems, but they just make them 10 times worse. And I was also in that promiscuousness. I would never share with anyone my feelings, my inner feelings. I remember one girl who lived with me for six months. She knew no more about me the day she moved out than the day she moved in. Because even though people looked on me as being a hard man, inside, really, I was a scared man, scared of being rejected like my parents had rejected me. I was working a club that we part owned in the West End of London, and I ended up hitting this guy. And the only reason I really hit this guy was because there was an underworld boss there and I wanted to impress him. And I truly thought I had killed this man. And as I looked at this man lying on the floor, the thought that came through my mind, the only thought really, was I might get 10 years for this. And as I drove home that night, I thought, what have I become that I could actually take someone's life and not care? That's what scared me the most. Because mm -hmm. I used to care. When I was a kid, I used to want to make this world a better place. I used to want to help people. And here I was just hurting and taking from everyone. You know, I had the honour of going over to the Holy Land and one of the places we visited was the Dead Sea. And one of the reasons why the locals call it the Dead Sea is it's very low down. So all these rivers flow into it, but nothing flows out of it. Mm -hmm. So all it does is take, it doesn't give, and there's no life in it. And so the locals say, if all you do in life is take and not give then you're dead. Well, I don't think I was just dead. I think I was almost decomposing with the evil that was in me. I came in this normal night and um, I became aware of a voice speaking to me. And your listeners would know that that voice was our conscience, God within us. And it was like he was telling me the worst things I'd ever done, horrendous things. And I knew two things. One was that I was going to hell and I was dying there and then. And I cried out for another chance, not because I was sorry, but purely self-preservation. I didn't want to go to hell. And I was absolutely terrified. And as I cried out for another chance, I felt lifted up. And I walked out of this apartment, and I said the first prayer I'd ever said. I said, up to now, all I've done is take from you, God, but now I want to give. And as I said that prayer, that emptiness which had always filled my heart was suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit, the love of God for me. And I really think up to that moment, maybe some, maybe some of your listeners might appreciate this, 
But I really think up to that moment, I always thought I was worthless and it didn't matter whether I lived or died. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I knew that God not only loved me, but he had a plan for me. The only person I knew out of faith was my mum. And I wouldn't see a lot of her in them days. I might give her an expensive present, probably because I felt too guilty to see her too often in my lifestyle, you know, and what I was doing. But this night I went around and told her what had happened to me. And she said to me she had prayed for me every day of my life. And nine days before this, she had prayed the novena to the patron saint of hopeless cases, St. Jude. And it was on the ninth day of her novena that I truly believed that I heard the voice of God speak to me in my heart. Um, I'll never forget the tears rolling down her face as I told her how I had found God, probably washing away all the pain and hurt that I caused her. My stepdad gave me my first ever Bible, and it was the old King James Version where Jesus' words are in red. And I just took it home and I started reading it. And one of the first stories I read was the story of the prodigal son. And I knew it was me. I knew that everything I'd taken from God I just wasted. I knew, like him, that I was starving. But my starving wasn't for food. It was for being the person who God had really created me for. Because I'd wore so many masks, so I'd absolutely forgot who I was, you know. Um, and, and you know, I remember St. Francis, when he first found God, for three years he said the same prayer. Who are you, Lord, and who am I? Who are you, Lord, and who am I? And I expect, I understand that complete disownership of who you really are because you've wore so many masks. There's a true story of a man who takes his son to school every day. And every day he takes him to school, he says, I'll be waiting for you when you come out. And every day this little boy looks through the classroom window and sees his dad waiting by the gates, goes running up and gets a big hug off him. And he says, I'm always the beer for you. I'm never to leave you. Well, on this one day, there was a massive earthquake. I'm sure we all read about it in the newspapers or saw it on the TV. And by the time this father gets to the school, the school's a mass of rubble. And there buried underneath the rubble are all these kids. So the father starts pulling off the stones one by one. But most of the villagers say they're all dead. You're wasting your time. Well, after 24 hours of this, this father's hands cut the bits by the stones. Everyone gives up. But he carries on searching, fighting back the tears and calling out his son's name. After 36 hours, he hears a whimpering sound and he calls out army and he hears the words, Papa, Papa. And as he removes these last few stones, all the children are still alive. And his son was heard to say, I told you my father would be here for me. I told you my father would never stop searching for me. Well, how much that father loved his son, I realised God the father loved me a million times more. And he had never stopped searching for me, even under the rubble of my sinfulness. So I expect I started searching and I started wondering where the true faith was because I wasn't brought up in any religion. And I met this old priest, Father Michael Kelly, who told me about a retreat that was happening. Well, I'll be honest with you, I thought a retreat was lying on the beach, a um, nice girl joint, just chilling for a couple of weeks. And I thought I could do an holiday, so I'd go on this retreat. Well, when I got there, it was nothing like I imagined. 
and there was a talk and this talk was give me your wounded heart and as i listened to this priest speaking about how every sin we commit is like a wound on our heart i was looking at a crucifix and for the first time in my life i really realized why jesus died on that cross because the darkest most terrible sins i'd ever committed he gladly carried in his heart to that crucifixion and i was filled with real remorse for what i had done but far more than that remorse was this incredible joy because it was like jesus saying to me john i love you so much i'd go through this all just for you and i started crying i cried for the first time since i was 10 after my parents got divorced i hadn't shed a tear for all those years 17 years and i was just crying and crying because i felt god's love for me and it was almost like he was able to reach into my heart and open it again i came out of that talk and i said a prayer to our lady and i remember i was holding the rosaries i said this prayer but i just said what is it that your son wants me to do and i felt mary whisper in my heart go to confession now i'd never been to confession in my life i'm 27 years old i think i'd broken every commandment there was and i was petrified of what the priest might think of me and i remember i had all these thoughts in my mind why i shouldn't go to confession why i shouldn't make an honest confession and i felt our lady again say there is only one person who doesn't want you to go to confession listen to his lies or listen to my son's truth and i thank god every day that i listen to jesus's truth because i went to confession and i left out nothing i went all the way through my age from the age of 10 through all the horrendous evil i had done and at the end of this confession this priest puts his hand on my head but it wasn't his hand it was jesus's hand i could actually feel the blood running down my face from jesus's hand where they put the nail in and you know people talk about diets and i could probably do the diet now but i must have shed a hundred ton of sin and i you know the only way i can describe the way it was is i went into that confession and it's like our heart is like a glass window and on one side of that window is god's unconditional love pouring down every second of every day but on the other side of the window are all the evil that i had done all the terrible things i had done to others and to myself and it's like eventually that window is so black that you can't see god's love all you can see is how unworthy you are how worthless you are how terrible you are and i took all that sin and i just tipped it out of the foot of the cross and it was like i was alive again i could feel the wind on my face i could hear the birds singing because the sin had killed me but the confession had brought me back to life and for any listeners out there you know if you ever made a real honest confession and maybe the worst sins that you've been carrying for years get rid of them and let jesus heal that part of your heart because i wanted to dance i felt so free you know and i really would recommend being completely honest jesus knows what we've done anyway but give those sins to him and make his crucifixion worthwhile because he's done the price he's paid the price for everything we've done but to claim that price we have to have the humility to tell him through the priest 
so that is a living sacrament what we've done so he can set us free. And he's not content with just taking away that sin. He wants to fill us with every grace and blessing. And that's why I felt so much joy and so much freedom, because it was like the Holy Spirit renewing me. Then there was a mass. And again, I had never been brought up as a Catholic. So I had no concept that the Blessed Sacrament was truly Jesus. But after this confession, Maybe my eyes were open, but I said a simple prayer. And I said, if this is true to you, Jesus, then show me, because I don't understand. And as I received Jesus on that day, the only way I can describe it to you is every good feeling I ever felt in my life, including how I felt when I walked out of that apartment and felt the Holy Spirit, including how I felt when I was touched by God's mercy in that confession, was just magnified and magnified. And I was totally renewed. And it was like I tasted heaven. That's the only way I can describe it. I was taken to taste heaven. And I knew that I would be a Catholic till the day I died and that the true presence of Jesus was in every Catholic tabernacle throughout the world. Now, I have the honour now to live in Ireland. And I'm sure some of your listeners know the history of Ireland. But, you know, it's not so long ago in this country where some of our ancestors, those of you who've got Irish blood, were willing to die to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. In the time of Elizabeth I, any priests who were caught would be hung, drawn and quartered. And there was literally hundreds of priests martyred in that way. Well, there was a woman who was caught hiding priests. She had three children and she was pregnant with her fourth child. Now, the judges didn't want to put her to death because she was a popular lady always feeding the poor. So they said to her, if you take the Bible in your hand and you swear never to hide another priest, you can go free. But if not, you'll be taken outside, you'll be stripped naked, you'll have a stone placed behind your back, there'll be a board placed on top of that, on top of you, and then there'll be boulders placed on that board and you'll be slowly crushed to death. And the reason why they put the stone behind your back is so your back snaps, so you're in agony the three days it takes to be crushed to death. Now, remember, this woman can go back to her husband and her children, and she's pregnant. She said, give me the Bible. She took the Bible in her hand, and she said, I swear by Almighty God, if ever a priest needs hiding, I will always hide him because it's from his hands I received Jesus Christ on earth. They took her outside and they slowly crushed her to death. Her name was St. Margaret Cliverow, a normal mum who knew to the point of not just giving her own life, but her unborn baby's life for one thing, Jesus in the Eucharist. The same Jesus that every time we receive him at Holy Mass gives us everything he has his body, blood, soul, and divinity. There's nothing he holds back. And the more we receive Jesus, the more he becomes us and we become him. I left that retreat and uh, I started working with um, some people who you probably know, but the Franciscans of Renault, Father Benedict Rochelle's brothers in the Bronx in New York. Mm -hmm. And I had the honour while I was there of meeting and speaking with St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mm. And I remember 
she said a few things to me, but one of the things she said to me is when you share your story, you glorify Jesus. And I really thank God for those words because I really felt they were from him. So in the last 20 odd years, I've been really sharing my story. And I've had the honor of speaking to well over 3 million people around the world. In 2008, I had the real privilege of speaking at World Youth Day in the presence of Pope Benedict XVI to over half a million young people. And now I live in the community which I had started it's called St. Patrick's Community, who we based, it's purely evangelization. And the reason why we chose St. Patrick is because we really felt he was one of the greatest evangelists in Europe's history. And the community has been going for about 17 years now. And as I say, our main charism is evangelization. So we do a lot of parish missions, a lot of school talks, um, I think we've done over 300 parish missions in England, America, Ireland, and Europe. So, yeah, that's a, a synopsis of my story and where I am now. That's an amazing story, John. Um, I knew it because I'd been, you know, I read your book, which I want to ask you, you wrote, you wrote your book, which was very faith-centered but then you rewrote that book again yeah i, I wrote the book um and I, I i didn't rewrite the whole book i added on a few chapters because obviously my story had moved on quite a bit mm -hmm. so now i've actually wrote four books i've wrote from gangland to promised land mm -hmm. which is my life story i've wrote a gangster's guide to god which is really the power of the catholic church i think a lot of people delve in to little bits of the Catholic Church, but they never used the real whole of the Catholic Church, the saints, Our Lady, um, the teachings of the church, all these protections that God gives us. So a gangster's guide to God is really about using our Catholic faith to make us whole and complete in life. Mm -hmm. And then my third book is Journey to Freedom. And it's really about the freedom that God brings us when we are willing to give God everything there's nothing he won't give us in return. So the third book is really about journey to freedom and the freedom of giving God everything and allowing him to run our lives. And then my fourth book is Through Mary to Jesus. And it's in honour of St. Louis de Montfort's consecration, the 33-day consecration, which changed my life. I had never done a public talk until I did that consecration. And I think it's supernatural. And so I wrote this book in his words, his consecration, and it's a real easy way to do the consecration without having to have 10 books in your hand, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's become the Catholic Truth Society's bestseller. So, so they're my four books. Wonderful. John, I'd like to ask you, um, we try to meet guys where they're at and people where they're at. How do, we, how do you go from being a gangster to being where you are today. And, and what I mean by that is how hard was it for you to, to begin to fit in to like a Christian Catholic community? Sure, yeah, I, I think it is a school, actually a question I get asked quite often when I'm in school as well. But to me, I always answer with it's God's patience why I'm still here. Mm -hmm. Because obviously it wasn't overnight that I suddenly learned from being this ruthless, 
greedy, selfish, manipulating gangster into being someone who God was calling to be virtuous. Yeah, I, I remember a lot of my life was based on sin, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know it sounds a bit raw, but I had a lot of pornography in my house, you know? And I remember on one occasion I came in and I was going to look at a pornography film because I didn't think there was anything wrong with pornography, you know? No one had educated me as to what God wanted or didn't want. And I opened up the Bible after asking God about the pornography, and it was something like he read, get this idolatry out of my sight. And I realised God had a, a problem with pornography. Mm -hmm. So I, I ended up, they were videos in them days, and I ended up smashing them and putting them all down the rubbish chute. But I, it was that sort of journey that it was like, you know, complete God's patience of slowly bringing me from a life full of immorality into someone who he wanted to be virtuous. But purely, very slowly, you know, it wasn't overnight, it was over years, and I'm still trying to be a better person for God now. I don't think it's a conversion that's over. I think every day is a conversion to be a better person for God, um, a bit more loving, more caring, um, more virtuous for God. So, yeah, I think that conversion goes on. But, you know, I thought it would take 30 lifetimes to get where I am now. And it's only taken God like 29 years. So, I, I you know, I just find God is incredible at his patience with us, you know. How much of an influence was Father Benedict Groeschel in, in this? Uh... Amazing. Like, I can say, I'll give you an expression of how Father Benedict Shell touched me. I went to join the Friars and I was with them for a year. And I realised through their discernment as well as mine that I wasn't called to be a Friar. And and so, and it was like Father, <laughs> I remember Father Glenn Sudano, who was my postulants director, he said to me, he said, John, we're asked to be finally honed, but we're not asked to be put through the mincer. <laughs> and to me... And to me, it was like sleeping on the floor, coming from living in luxury. All the different, you know, it was my pursuit of being holy mm -hmm. rather than my pursuit of wanting God's will. And I remember I asked to spend a couple of weeks with Father Benedict. And I went to Father Benedict's um, retreats place, and he wasn't there. He had actually was in Poland. And um, a friend of his, Father Gene, said to me that Father Benedict's away, he'll be back tomorrow and he'll probably see you after he's had a rest. And I said, no, no problem, I'm here for two weeks. Anyway, two o'clock in the morning, I get a knock on my door, and he says, get your pants on, kid, we're going to feed the ducks. And so we go and uh, feed the ducks, and he really said to me, he said, you're like a budgie in a budgie cage. You need to fly and be free for God. Anyway, at six o'clock in the morning, we're in his room. He's almost falling asleep because he's so tired. He's just flown in from Poland. I said, Father, can I ask you one question? Why didn't you wait till tomorrow to speak to me? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm here for two weeks. Mm -hmm. He said, I didn't want you to sleep with a heavy heart. Oh. Now, this is a guy who's wanted all over the world to do talks. I'm, a, you know, one of many, many postulants in his order and yet he takes his sleep a whole night's sleep to make sure that i feel loved and cherished by god mm -hmm. and that that to me is father benedict you know i can't thank god he taught me to be real 
he taught me to be the best version of myself I could be for God. So, yeah, I love him and miss him greatly. Yeah, I, We became great friends as well, yeah? Yeah. Uh, Father Andrew Apostoli was another one. Um, God yeah, he was my spiritual one. director, actually. <laughs> when I was with the Friars, Father Andrew was my spiritual director, a great Yankee supporter. Oh, he well, you know what, John? We're not going to go there. Because <laughs> I'm a Red Sox fan. I don't know if that uh, means anything to, to, to an Englishman, but... Uh, <laughs> He was always very joyous when he spoke about the Yankees, but he loved God more, I think. Yeah, no, they, they um, you know, I only knew them from my, you know, what I saw on, on EWTN, but they, they both, um, they were both incredibly important in my return back to the Catholic Church because of their, what they gave, you know, so, such such blessings that, that they were. But the, that order is still continuing on and, and still doing some great works in New York, aren't they? Very much, yeah. One of my spiritual directors now is Father Bernard Murphy, who actually has just come from New York back to London. <laughs> but I'd be very good friends with all the friars. So our community, St. Patrick's community, has a lot of dealings with um, the friars and we work closely with them. We've done literally probably... Um, 30 or 40 parish missions with the friars as well wow. um, around the world. So it's been really blessed, you know, um, working with them. And, yeah, and we also work a lot with the Mother Teresa sisters, the Missionary Charity sisters. And so, yeah, we're, we're very honoured to have those sort of inputs in our lives, you know. Well, like I said, Mother Teresa is should be the, the patron saint of bad boys because she really does affect a lot of people we've had uh, uh jim Wahlberg on as a guest before and he and he had a profound moment with her and um that changed his life so anyhow. yeah you, you knew when when i met mother Teresa, i knew that she was someone who was totally filled by god it was quite amazing actually because it was almost like you you knew you was in the presence of someone who had almost like was filled with God. And when I read her, you know, the latest book, which was about, you know, almost going through 40 years of the darkness of the soul, mm -hmm. I thought, well, maybe she couldn't feel that presence of God, but everyone who came close to her felt that presence of God through her. Mm -hmm. And so it's quite amazing, really, to me, um, you know, how much inspiration she had. And the words she spoke to me are ingrained on me. I had the honor of spending about six hours with her in total over a number of weeks. And I just remember all the stories she said, all the little sharings are just ingrained. So it was like, you know, they were alive. They were so um, filled with the Holy Spirit. It was amazing. There's a story about Mother Teresa where she actually crossed some battle lines, Muslim terrorists or something, and they just let her go because she was such a, a holy person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a powerhouse for God. Yeah, without a doubt. John, you talk about St. Patrick's, your your community, and what rule do you follow? It's a lay lay. Um... Yep. Yeah, we we is quite interesting. I would have had um, a great input, as I say, through the friars, and the friars um, would have some really great things in their everyday spiritual life mm -hmm. so for instance obviously we would do morning evening and night prayer but we would do a holy hour each day like the friars we'd also go to confession once a week as a community you know um and that i think is something i really got from the friars as well 
I was also had the honour of being in another lay community in Scotland called Craig Lodge, House of Prayer. And one of the things they did was an open examination of conscience. And so as a community at night prayer, we would again do an open examination of conscience. And, and it isn't like, that, you know, we're looking for... Um, it's more apologising to each other for any hurts or any upset we've caused. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how much you learn to love each other in that, you know. Mm -hmm. It really is blessed, um, that whole concept. And so I expect over the years I'd been with quite a few different communities and I tried to take the best out of those communities and give that our walk of life. But you asked earlier about how did Father Benedict affect my life but he also had a great input with our community i remember i asked him when i was setting it up what i should get you know if he had any tips and he said make sure your charism is clear what is your charism and our charism was evangelization mm -hmm. and i always remember him saying well then make it evangelization don't change don't alter that's what and so even though our community is very prayerful and obviously you can't evangelize without the prayer. Mm -hmm. We've never lost sight that we're there to evangelize. That's our charism. And what is, what that's why we've had the grace of doing so many parish missions, speaking to literally hundreds of thousands of kids over the years in schools. Um, you know, and it, it, they really, and also prisons. I love the prison ministry that we run, mm -hmm. where we would actually do um, parish the same format as parish missions, we would do them in prisons. Mm -hmm. And so we would get every prisoner to have the opportunity for confession. We would have a Eucharistic healing service where Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament comes to each person. Just incredible graces, a lot of tears, a lot of prisoners making their first ever confessions. So, yeah, it's, it's just been a real grace for us. Uh, especially parish missions like renewing parishes, you know, like the amount of miracles I've seen. Where I'll, get, I'll give you an example. We did one parish mission in Letterkenny Cathedral, and we had 26 priests and Bishop Boyce hearing confessions for over two and a half hours. And I just remember the priest just couldn't believe the depth of confessions. And, you know, like it was just amazing to see a packed cathedral of over 1200 people going to confession to 26 priests and a bishop for two and a half hours non-stop mm. it was just amazing you know so yeah we've had some incredible uh, um we've really seen god's miracles at work i've, I've always thought that one of the, the best ways to evangelize is through service to, towards you know our fellow man i noticed on your website that there are organizations that feed poor people is that a true statement yeah one one of the um organizations we were running for quite a number of years was mary's mills named after our lady mm -hmm. and they have the honor of feeding over 1.2 million people now um, and they feed these children at school so it's all children who they feed and thankfully we was able to raise over 2 million euros for that charity as a community. And it was a real blessing. You know, I remember when I left the friars, one of the friars said to me, work with the poor mm -hmm. and you'll always be close to God. And it's something that I know the Missionary of Charity Sisters do. 
the Franciscans do. And we really wanted to be a part of that. And because we know Mary's Mills is such an operation of God and the Holy Spirit, that that's why we chose to bring it to Ireland. So we was the four founders in Ireland of Mary's Mills um, for a great friend of mine, Magnus McFarlane Barra, who actually um, lived at that prayer house in Scotland where I was. So that's how I met him in the first place. And he asked me to set up Mary's Mills in Ireland. And so we as a community did. Uh, there was a lot of miracles involved in that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and anyone who wants to support our community, um, you can go on the website, which is www.stpatrickscommunity.ie or my website www.johnpribmore.com and there's a donations page on there and also you can book us from there to do any talks or anything at all obviously um taking in mind COVID is a bit of a restrictor at the moment yeah that's that's a shame but you know john you you really painted a nice picture of how, how bountiful God is that he takes a small community like yours and begins to feed a, a much larger community. There's almost that multi multiplying of fishes through through your community, how it outreaches to others. Yeah, and just, just oh. to explain, with our community, our sort of safety net is we live completely off God's providence. Mm -hmm. So we believe that if we're truly serving God, then he provides everything we need. So we don't charge set fees. We just ask for a donation. And if anyone can't afford the donation, we still would do whatever they ask us to do because we believe God will provide for us. And as a community, we've never gone without food. We've never gone without anything we've needed in the past 17 years. So up to now, I would say that we must have been more or less doing what God wanted us to do because he's definitely provided for us, you know. Mm -hmm. Is there any uh, anything you'd like to talk about, John? Um, just to say for any of um, your listeners who might be a bit, you know, going through a tough time or, you know, I, I just really believe that Eastertide is a time of great hope and a great, you know, the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes we have to go through the cross and the crucifixion to get to that resurrection and just to encourage those people that, you know, maybe you've tried a lot of different avenues to, you know, counseling or whatever, try by giving God everything. Do you know what I mean? Actually make him the whole reason for you getting up in the morning, you know, and pray like you've never prayed before. Go to mass as often as you can pray the rosary as often as you can go to confession and be really honest. And you watch what God does in return. You know, I think we mess up in life and we think that when we say an odd prayer, we're blessing God. What we're really doing is allowing God to bless us. And the more we pray, the more we give God time, the more he's able to bless our lives and those we love. So I would just really encourage anyone in this Easter tide, make a pact that I'm that I love God more than I've ever loved him before. And so he can bless my, my life and change my life if he needs changing or to bless it and improve it if it doesn't. Yeah, and I would just really say, encourage anyone out there, if you want to know what God wants, he wants everything. But there's nothing he won't give you in return, even his only son's life. John Pridmore, thank you so much for joining me along the way today. My pleasure, Dave. And uh, 
I, I honestly, with every guest that, unless they're, you know, a priest or, or bishop, I always read a, a, a an Irish blessing. So I'd like to give you that blessing and fitting that you're in Ireland right now. And it goes like this. May your troubles be less, your blessings be more, and nothing but happiness come through your door. Very nice. Thank you very much. John Pridmore, I look And may God bless every one of your listeners and yourself, Dave, and your family. Thank you, man.